What's up, everybody? We're back. Another episode. This life ain't for everybody. Hopefully, y'all are enjoying them. From the readings of the direct messages and all of our inquiries, y'all are loving the diversity and guests. We got a lot of great episodes coming your way. Today's episode is no different. I'm fired up for it. It's brought to you again by the one and only the iconic Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey, Jack Daniels. Enjoy it responsibly. Never, ever allow underage drinking. Thank you, Jack Daniels, for bringing so much to all of our lives and for supporting the culture of what we stand for here at all of our brands. I've uh, seen my guest today in concert many, many times. He plays in one of my favorite bands uh, for one of my favorite artists of all times. And I got to know him over the last several years, just through concerts and hanging out and shaking his hand. And then I got into his music and it is freaking rad. And I'm going to start this off after I introduce Chris Hennessy, the, I, I mean, you're in the Jamie Johnson band, you're a solo artist, you're a songwriter, you've had a lot of songs recorded by several artists that we all know. How are you today, my man? I'm doing great, man. Right off the bat, you're starting with Jack Daniels, that's my neck of the woods, man, that's where I'm from, so. <laughs> well, we need to get together the next time I'm in Lynchburg. Yeah, absolutely. We did a, we did a show there with Jamie, matter of fact, about Two years ago, I guess, right there in Lynchburg at the at the distillery. It's really cool. Were you at Barbecue Hill up on top? Not, uh, no, it was down in the valley. Where we down were in the I got to ask yeah. you. Um, I was li- I was at the lake this last weekend, and this song that you've had out for a while, um, gospel songs. Um, yeah. Even if you're not religious and you're spiritual and even if you don't want to discuss religion you know like i'm sure you know sammy kershaw and he made the line you never talk about politics religion and her um i know that you come from an area where um you're a god-fearing man um is this a safe assumption to make and if it is chris how does this song come about because when i heard it i had to rewind it three times and it shakes me every time do you hear that a lot from people about that particular song as a matter of fact i do yeah um i think you're right i think it, it crosses uh it crosses line. you know uh you don't have to be a southern baptist to get that song you know you can listen to the lyrics and be like yeah that, that makes sense you ask me about you know willing to speak about it absolutely uh i am more than willing to speak about it you know say the name of jesus i've got no problem with that matter of fact i I feel like it's a, it's a job, you know, I, I want to do it. I, I look forward to, to doing it, but, uh, but yeah, absolutely. That song, uh, I, I get a lot of feedback from that. Well, I think we got a robber. That's it. <laughs> um, <laughs> what I was thinking about when I was listening to it and I, and I kind of want to get your, your, your answer to this on all of the stuff that you put out, because um, it's no secret that you, you, you work and play and make a, a part of your livelihood in the Jamie Johnson band. You're great friends with Jamie Johnson. Yeah. Um, I, I've been, I've said it on this podcast many, many times that the lonesome song is the best all around country album of all time. In my opinion, song for song. I love Merle. I love all the outlaws. I love a lot of albums, but the lonesome song just hits me different. Here we are. I don't even know how many years later, but at least a decade, 15 years. And every yeah. song is still freaking amazing. I talked to Jeremy Popoff about mowing down the roses and the, the genius behind that song. And then he's like, well, that song, we wrote that in like 12 minutes. And I'm just like, wow. Like, but 
Tell me, Chris Hennessy, do you run to Jamie and get his opinion on a song like gospel songs? Do you look forward to hearing what somebody like uh, of his, you know, because he can write a song and he can deliver a song. And he is a great choreographer, in my opinion, of your guys' band. And I know you help him out a lot on that front. But it, how much does his opinion matter to Chris Hennessy? And do you go to him with a song like that and just wait there standing on, you know, just like being like, can't waiting, can't wait for his response? That's a great question. Uh, if, if you ask, let's put it like this. If you ask him that question about his music, uh, he would say, no, I'm re- I'm not concerned about, you know, I hope you like it, but I'm not concerned about your response, if that makes sense. So in that sense, of course, I want somebody like Jamie to, to like and respect the stuff that I do. Absolutely. Uh, you know, he would be way up on the top of the list. I've always thought that, you know, I've always thought if I could look down the road at my career and I can have people that I respect, respecting my music, then I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish, you know. But when it comes to making records, you know, there was a day probably many years ago that I would have really went out and seeked approval and seek the, you know, opinions of people about my music and, uh, of course, I want you and I want everybody to like what I'm putting out in the world. But at the same time, you just got to do your thing, you know. And when it's done and you play it for people, of course, you hope that they like it and respect it. But uh, it doesn't really play a factor into to whether I record the song or don't record it or put it on the record or don't put it on the record. Uh, but now, as you probably know, Jamie's also kind of a tough one to pin down. You know, it's kind of hard to find a moment to say, hey, I want to play you a song, you know. Uh, but as as we move along, he ends up hearing them. And, and I will say this, uh, my old buddy, he's pretty picky. I am too, you know, kind of picky about the music that you that you like and listen to on a regular basis. So if he mentions, hey, I like this song, it really resonates. You know, it really makes a difference. So, Did he ever say that about gospel songs? He, I don't think we've ever talked about gospel songs. Uh, now, a lot of that might have to do with the fact that uh, my bud, I don't know if I ever told you the story about it. We're mutual friends with the guy named Blake Harris. We call him Wally. Oh, yeah. And uh, my brother Wally, he he helps out with Jamie's camp. And we were on the bus, and actually Wally wasn't there. He called, and we were talking about there was a shooting that happened, one of those ridiculous things that happened a few years ago. And, and he said, this world could use a few more gospel songs. And I don't know why that simple thing that he said hit me at that moment. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. So I ran to the back of the bus and like 10 minutes later, I wrote this song and came out and played it, you know, and then we recorded it. And so the reason I say that is to say that there's a good chance Wally has played that song for Jamie 20 times. So he would probably be the better person to ask about that. Does does Wally, does our mutual buddy Wally, and I love him to death, does he get a co-writer credit for saying that to you that day before you went back and pinned it? He does. And and the reason is because I love him and and uh, that's the way it ought to be. And, if, you know, I've hung around Music Row long enough to know that, you know, character is a big deal. And, you know, you might hear somebody say something, be like, I'm going to sneak over here and write this down. But it always ends up working out better in the long run if you just give credit where it's due, you know. So, yeah, Wally's a, got a writer credit on it. And he also has writer credit on, as you probably know, uh, Jennings and Jones. I know. Somewhere. Yeah, that's a great story right there. So 
I was I, I was uh, lucky enough to be at Graceland for Randy and and Jamie in uh, April, and I was standing backstage with Wally, and he mentioned he said he told me that again. I'm just like, man, just what a great a great feeling it must be because that song's very clever in my opinion of picturing a record shop and knowing that Jamie's initials fall in between Waylon Jennings and George Jones, two of the greatest of all time and most opinion, yep. including mine. Very clever song. So when you start talking about giving credit where credit is due, Chris Hennessy, um, when it comes to your career, you're playing in what could be the most respected. I don't know how to say this without maybe having somebody go, you're nuts, man. You're out of your mind. But there's something about your guys' band and your sound that has resonated through the community of musicians and where I'm going with this is it seems to me that you and Jamie and the entire crew from Herb Hassey to, to Wally to the, you know, you got this Willie Nelson cult following feel to you, but more than that, more so than that, Chris, is that it seems like everybody has such huge respect, meaning that CDB, George Jones tribute, Randy Travis, uh, the Willie tribute. You, I could keep going on and on. The George Strait, when Jamie got up and did give it away that he wrote and George made a hit. It just seems like there is so much respect. Even the band you just got off the road with last night, Whiskey Myers, Cody Cannon, the guys, they are an unbelievable outfit of music. And, and then when I was on with Cody Jinx, I said, is Jamie Johnson the best of all time? And he scooted up to his camera and he said, hell yes, he is. So my point, Chris Hennessy, is you being so close to it. Why is it that everybody, Jamie's not on the radio much. He doesn't, seems to be, be playing the Nashville role anymore. Hasn't for a long time. That was his decision, I believe. I don't know the whole story. But it just seems like you guys have this respect where you're develop you are like building this legacy where you guys are welcomed in by all of the who's who in country music. Does this question make sense? I kind of feel like I'm bouncing around too much, but I'm trying to say that you guys are on stage where it matters the most. And it doesn't matter if you have a number one hit on the radio or not. Yeah, so I, I think if I can kind of figure out the best way to answer the question. Uh, I, I don't know if you're saying, do, do we notice it or not? Like, does it, do we? What brings it? Why, why does Chris Hennessy and Jamie Johnson get asked, come play CDB, come play George Jones, come out on hey. the road with Willie play. You're, you're in farm aid. You're at the picnic. You guys are doing all of the most, that this is the most important stuff in music, in my opinion. And it seems like you guys are always a part of it and welcomed in by all of the who's who in music. Right. So I think it really, but to answer that properly, I think you'd have to go back to, to Jamie's, uh, to the beginning of his career and the way that he handled it. Uh, you know, he had a record deal at RC, uh, you know, the, the record that the dollar was on. And uh, that didn't work out. And then so he just took the ball in his own hand, ran with it. And not too many artists do that. Made his own record, delivered it to Luke, Luke Lewis, who was uh, very influential and important part, I think, of his career. Uh, because Luke said, yeah, he saw it like you did. He, he heard the record and goes, we've really got something here, you know. And uh, I think you have to chase it back to there. And then the roots of Jamie uh, are different than most other country artist uh, in modern times because he did literally and sincerely do it his way. Uh, those records that he made were records that he put the, the sessions together and did it himself, you know? 
So I think just right off the bat, that, and then the word gets out and we got people like, you know, Randy Travis and, and Charlie Daniels and et cetera, et cetera, Willie, especially, that know these things. And he also kind of exudes it too. You know, you've been around him a lot, so you know that he kind of, he wears it, you know, uh, where a lot of uh, artists now uh, don't necessarily do that. And I'll also say this too. One of the reasons that his music is, is continually growing uh, even though it has been a while since he's made a record, is because he's country music by definition, and co- country music by definition in the last ten years has changed so dramatically. And I feel like uh, there were there are a lot of people who love country music but don't necessarily love what they're hearing on country radio today. So they gravitate more and more towards Jamie and Cody Jinks and Whiskey Myers and all the folks we were talking about earlier. But, uh, you know, and you got to remember, too, like I said, you've been around him and, you know, my, my buddy demands respect. You know, there's a lot to be said for that. So I hope that sort of answers the question. It totally does. It just seems like it being in your shoes, you are. I don't know if this is going to sound right and tell me if it doesn't. And I'm not I would never, ever disrespect you in any way. But you're kind of like like mickey and the harmonica of willie to where you're standing on stage with jamie and you are as talented as they come but you're like experiencing things that are coming through that respect i think that people want you guys there because i think that it comes down to this there's a dedication to the music and the lyric and the song and that's all that i can think of. i know jamie's a stand-up guy I know how he feels about about the military and our first responders. And I know how you do as well. So I just think that there's this respect there that is like real, it's authentic and it's legitimate. So legitimate because you guys put the lyric and the song out front and you pay homage to the people that came before you and you show them the same respect that Jamie and you demand. So it's, I don't know if that question really made sense. It just seems like when I look at it, it's like, wow, Jamie's on this bill. Chris and Jamie are over here doing this. They're here. And you don't get invited to these things just because you have a number one hit on the radio. You guys have this thing going on that's like you have a vibe that's just so authentic. And I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, it's about authenticity. I agree 100%. It's about, I think a lot of times, especially, I think especially in music, you can tell when somebody's trying to play by the the playbook, you know, and uh, that's not something that we ever done uh and I, I will say this too you know you're talking about like mickey and and being on stage with jamie and that kind of stuff i i really feel indebted and i feel i feel not obligated but i really do feel a, a debt of gratitude to jamie because you know i i, I really pulled it out through the years and on music row and that's how we met you know we met in i think it was like 2000 we met and uh we were doing the same stuff, songwriting and just beating our head against the wall, trying to figure out how to make something stick, you know? And, uh, he got, fortunately, he got going early on and rightfully so, obviously. I mean, talent speaks for itself. That voice does, you know? So, uh, and then I had a real hard time catching any, any traction. And frankly, if it wasn't for Jamie, you know, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about this stuff right now because he, he is, you know, like I said, I really owe a lot to him. I've been able to make records through the years and really, you know, in the last decade and really work because of, because of him. So, uh, yeah, I've got to, I got to really tip my hat to my old bearded buddy. <laughs> Chris, does it, as far as ego, 
and pride in the in the in the human psyche and in our brain and it happens to all of us sometimes it gets in the way hopefully we mature in life sooner than later to where we we see the importance and what should be important like you've said and, and i and i could probably write down the things that are important to chris hennessy without asking out loud right now but i bet family is for number one i bet friends are there i bet the man upstairs and the lord above is very high on your list i think that you're dedicated to your craft is very high on your list. I'm assuming these things about you based on the way that I watch you play, the way that I present you, or the way that I see you present yourself, how, how nice you are to us and our crew when we're around. Um, I, I this, Did ego ever affect Chris Hennessy in a way of like, you just made mention that you saw Jamie take off and you're back here on Music Row trying to trying to get a piece of the cake or a piece of the pie, as they would say, like George Jefferson talked about moving on up. Um, yeah. Did it ever does it ever bring you down that it didn't happen in the way that you thought thought it would when you did move to 16th and 17th Avenue and started trying to work your way up? And I know that you've achieved so much. But has it ever affected you? Do you ever get down? Do you ever say, why? Why didn't take off? Or do you just be like, are, are you so mature in your thinking, Chris Hennessy, that you're like, you know what? The God, God, the man upstairs had a plan. I'm supposed to be standing on the stage with Jamie Johnson and making my records when I see fit and writing my songs when I see fit. And you're happy as heck to be doing that. Now, that is an excellent question and one that I will be happy to answer. And I appreciate it because... It gives me a chance to really, you know, I can dig deep on that one. Uh, if you were to ask me that question 12 years ago, I would have maybe lied and said, oh, no, no, man, you know, it's great. Everything's great. You know, but it hurt. But I, I tell you what, I can pinpoint a moment and I will never forget it. I was sitting in the front of the tour bus in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, pulling down the road. Jamie was sitting there and I was sitting there. Crowd everywhere, we're pulling in and we're doing a show with Merle Haggard. And I'm pretty sure it was Merle and Willie. So we were playing and then Merle and Willie. And I remember looking out at that crowd and I remember, you know, thinking, you have a choice. And this was good quite a few years ago. You know, this is quite a few years ago. You have a choice in how you want to handle these kind of situations. Do you want to go man, I, I should be playing on this show. I should be, you know, you know, it should be Chris Hennessy, Jamie Johnson, Merle Haggard, Will, you know, and then it just hit me like a, like a ton of bricks right there in that moment. Like, man, thank goodness I'm here. You know, like, thank God he's put me in an opportunity to be with a guy like Jamie playing with Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard and rolling down through here in a tour bus when, you know, a year earlier, I'm in a, a suburban pulling a trailer trying to go find some more to, you know, make enough money to pay for gas to get back home, you know? So I feel like for, I don't know about the upper level artists, but, you know, I feel like for people like me, you have a choice. You can either look at it negative, you can look at it positive. You can look at it like I had a dream and I had a goal and I didn't reach it and I'm bitter and I'm mad. Or the way I choose to look at it is, man, I just did a show with Merle Haggard and Willie Nelson and the, the new dude that's just as big as they are, you know, and it just makes you, it, it, it takes a, a load off of you. And, and, you know, then God comes into the picture and goes, okay, you're getting it. You're slowly getting it out of a hundred percent. You're 1.5% the way there. Congratulations. You know what I mean? 
So uh, that's a great question. I appreciate you saying that because I have been humbled and blessed all at the same time. And I feel like the reason the, the blessing happens is because of the humility. That makes sense. A hundred percent makes sense. And I appreciate, yeah. I appreciate the clarity and the yeah. transparency in the answer. What if it happened today though, Chris Hennessy, what if your loyalty and your love for your music right now and your, one of your great friends, Jamie Johnson was put into a decision to where music row did come calling said, Hey, it's your time. But just like Aaron Lewis and George Jones talked about and country boy about, you know, they, they might try to call the shots. Jamie didn't play by those rules. Do uh, you, do you see yourself saying, you know what, Jamie, I got to have a talk with you. Do you think you could ever do that? Chris Hennessy with what has transformed over the last almost two decades in your career with Jamie Johnson, could you go play by the rules now and start a solo career if they said you can't be in that band anymore? This is your show now. You got to roll. What would happen okay. then? So, uh, and if Jamie was here, he would he would say this too. First of all, if it was Music Row and they said, you know, hey, you know, we give it, we're giving you a shot. You got your chance. I, I'm not interested. I don't really need it. Uh, I, you know, I'm very pleased and happy with where the my solo career is at at this point i mean in the last two or three years i've you know done a lot of shows done a lot of stuff myself but i'm also doing a lot of opening slots for jamie and that kind of thing too but what i was going to say is that the conversation with jamie would be like this man i hate to say it but i've got a really great opportunity to go out and do a solo artist thing and he'd probably give me a pretty good tongue lashing if i if i didn't just go do it you know what i mean like Early on in my, my I guess, tenure with him, of course, we've been friends for 20 years, but I've been working with him for probably a decade or more. And uh, right from the start, he's like, man, let's build this thing up and, you know, you take off and do your thing. So I'm sure, you know, definitely the blessing would be there on that end. But, uh, but and, you know, that's what I'm doing anyways. I, frankly, to be honest with you, I wouldn't change anything right now. It's, it's great. We're doing, you know, we're working our butt off. I'm making records, you know, and I'm, I'm doing them the way I want to do them. I'm doing them myself and I don't have anybody to answer to just the fans, you know? So it's great. When I look, when I get to meet somebody that had played with Merle or was on stage with Randy Travis before the accident or, you, you talk to like, I, I got to sit and talk with Paul English at one time when he was when playing in my local area. I often think about the questions that could have been asked, you know, and I'm sure you and Jamie have this kind of love uh, and, and, and influence and inspiration from guys like, what would it have been like to stand behind Elvis? You know, like Hank Williams Jr. gets up on stage and he tells these stories, Chris Hennessy, about, man, when I was eight years old, I'd walk in the house and little Richard was on the couch and Waylon was over here. And like, I mean, could you imagine? But now look at Chris Hennessy. It's happening to you. You're a yeah. young, you're a young man that has literally been around all of these guys being so good yourself and so talented. Does anything surprise you anymore? Does when Jamie hits that first line of that lonesome song, do you still have the hair standing up on your arms when you're trying to pick the guitar? Do you ever get choked up anymore? Does some, does anything ever impress you anymore? Because you've been around the greatest of the great when it comes to what you do and you're right there playing alongside of them. Does anything ever blow your mind when you're out on the road anymore? 
know where to start. I mean, I can tell you all kinds of stories that were hair raising for me. I mean, just in the last few years, but uh, thankfully now things don't get me so worked up that I, that, you know, it's hard to perform. You know what I mean? Uh, there, there was a time that would have been the case if I looked over it. Well, matter of fact, okay, I'll give you an example. The first gig that I did with Jamie, I was playing harmonica and, uh, and we were doing farm aid in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and we're walking to the stage and I, man, I'll be honest with you, especially back then, that was 10 years ago or more. You know, I was novice harmonica player. I've improved a bit, but I'm still no Mickey. You know what I mean? And we're walking to the stage and, uh, we're walking with, with Willie's, uh, road manager. Um, and he says, Hey, there's, uh, there's Mickey. You want to go meet him? And I was like, no, man, not right now. We're walking on stage about to play in front of, you know, farm aid crowd. And this is my first go around. And he's like, Oh, come on. So we go over, I meet Mickey and I'm like, okay, good. We met him. We're good. You know, and it's, yeah, I play harmonica sort of. So we go on stage and we're doing, uh, we're doing an old Patsy Klein cover. And he looks at me like solo. And I'm like, all right. And about the time I start the solo, I look over and there's Nikki on the stage right. And I just tell myself, okay, don't look over there. Just look look over here. And look to the left. There's Neil Young. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, oh, well, what am I going to do, man? I just ripped into it. And uh, and it's great. Jamie's really good about that, too, because he kind of frees you up to just be like, go for it. If you fall flat on your face, you better you know do it while you're going for it. Don't. Don't ease into it, you know. God so go back to your original question. You know, yeah, it seems like weekly we're doing something that I'm like, man, I can't, I can't believe we just did that or we just met them. I mean, last well, two years ago, I guess, before all the COVID stuff, we were doing the Leonard Skinner tour, and uh, and this goes back to the earlier question that you were were asking about, you know, uh, humility and that kind of stuff. Uh, if the 18-year-old me knew that the me now was going to be doing a show with Leonard Skinner, Marshall Tucker Band, Charlie Daniels, I would have lost my mind, you know? But there we were, and I got to meet Charlie and kind of hang out with him, and of course, you know, the Skinner guys, I'm buddies with two or three of those guys, too, and it's just, it's mind-blowing to me, and I always think teenage me. I always go back to teenage me and just be like, man, he would be like, I can't believe you're doing this. <laughs> Well, I, I don't think anybody could. I mean, it's just like, it's, I, I don't get envious of it because I'm not a musician, but dang it, I would love to be able to look back on a career like you're going to be able to do and be like, I, I did it. Like I, I was there with all of these people, not to mention that you're putting out unreal music and you're the front man for one of the, you know, you're with Jamie right now, like who, again, I'd say it with pride that I think he's got the best voice and has put out one of the best albums, if not the best album of all time. Hey, you know, you know what I'm talking about, because I think I read somewhere a long time ago. I can't remember what it was in. You're talking about George Brett, you know? And so you grow up like me, I'm a baseball guy. I grew up playing and played in high school and college, you know, and they're, they're dudes that, you know, if I met, I would just be like, I can't believe this, but there you are. Like, right. You, you met George Brett, right? Well, yeah, it was, uh, 
because of hunting and I got invited to say hello to him and he wanted to say hi to me and he takes his phone out and he's like, let me show you these hunting pictures. And he takes me into his office. And from then on, he's like, take my number. Now I get to go in his backyard and, and cook steaks with him. And I get to sit in his box at Kaufman stand. Yeah. And I'm just like, is this real? I used to do, I used to drive three and a half, four hours to Oakland, California, in the Bay area to watch the Royals play the Oakland athletics. Cause the A's and the giants were, were the closest major league baseball teams to where I grew up. And I'd just sit there in awe of number five. And then at that time, Bo Jackson was there and Brett Saberhagen and all these. And now I'm sitting with, I'm sitting with George Brett going, what the hell's going, what the heck's going on, man? What the heck is going on? It's nuts, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's the same deal. It's just, it's crazy. When you said, um, Willie's tour manager at the time, was that Pootie that got to, that walked you up to, was it Pootie at the time? John Selman. It was the the newer the newer guy. John. John. John's. Yeah, I love John. He's awesome. I never got to meet Pootie. Uh, he was gone before I started running around and meeting those guys. But uh, but man, hanging with Willie. Yeah, I talked to you for a while about that too. That's pretty cool. It, well, let's talk about a question about Willie. What what do you think has been the main reason if you had to put your finger on it is it his dedication to the song or is he a sweetheart of a human being what has built this allegiance to willie from all artists i mean all artists one i mean from snoop dogg to to blink 182 to miranda lambert to jamie johnson and chris Hennessy. i mean you name it willie nelson's been a part of something with all of these he's been on the howard stern show like 10 times what yeah. What is it about him, you knowing him, that sets him apart, that's made him legendary? Well, I mean, you know, you could answer that for an hour, but I think if you had to put it into short form, I would answer it kind of like I did Jamie. You can go back to his, you know, his early work. I think it was 1973 or four, and he did the Redheaded Stranger album, and that was out of nowhere, you know. You can go back and listen to other country albums from that era, and that that did not fit into the format. And I think that's the beginning of it. That's, that explains, you know, his personality. But then when you get around Willie and you meet him, you realize, man, he's the same dude sitting there playing cards as he is when he's on the, the, you know, Howard Stern or whatever big show or the presidential honors or whatever it might be. You know, he's the same guy and uh, he's just dry. He's just, I don't know. I, I guess if if I really think about it, Willie reminds me of they've taken a time machine and went back and got a you know a, a, a mid eighteen hundreds cowboy and just threw him right into modern times. You know that's kind of the way it feels, and I think that's probably what the draw is to him too is just his personality. You know, probably. I love short. <laughs> yeah, it's got it's got to be something because you know I've been around Willie and I got to run with Pootie back in the day a little bit and then got to got to meet Lucas and just such just such sweet people but so talented like watching yeah. Lucas on stage, bro. Like, is he not amazing? Like his talent level is like he just. I know he grew up around it. It has to have something to do with it, but he's taking it to the next level. And it, you, would you consider him and Willie great guitar players? Yeah. Um... So if I just had Lucas's energy to begin with, that would be that would be a step in the right direction. But uh, man, Willie's guitar playing, the, the older I get, the more I pay attention to it, it. It's extremely impressive. It really is. I think he's one of the one of the best ever. 
and it's it's a stylistic thing, you know. I mean, he's you know, you you can't really compare him and Jimi Hendrix, but you know, in the sense of being in that style, like he's just good. And and two, we're talking about guitar playing and Willie. I mean, how many people could you hear three notes on one guitar with nothing else playing and say, oh, I know who that is. I mean, there's, I can't name maybe two other people than him that, that you could say that about. So that's, uh, that says a lot. And to be able to bring those notes out of that guitar for so many years, when you look at that guitar, you're like, man, if that guitar could talk, man, it's that, that, that deal has seen some stuff. When you start thinking about your career now, Hennessy, where you're going with the two songs that you've released so far, Twilight in the South, what is it about the pride of the South? And what I mean by this is I'm prideful from where I come from. I would never say like, oh, I can't stand this place. I like it. It's it's built me. My mom and dad were here. We're third generation. But there's something different about where you're from. There's I've, I've coined myself the adopted son of the South because I love it there. I am lucky enough to be able to go down there and hunt and cook and meet people and become part of their kin almost. People say things different in the South. Things happen different in the South. I'm not saying that the South is perfect and I'm not trying to build up, but there's something about the South, the Southern part of the United States. And I would say it maybe East Texas to Georgia, Northern Florida a little bit. You're going to have to tell me what you consider the South, South Carolina, North Carolina, but for sure parts of Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, East Tennessee. Um, and then you got Kentucky. There's something different about that place. Twilight in the South. Why do yeah. you have so much pride in the South? Because when I hear the words in this song, I think about you writing it and you sitting there going, man, this is pretty freaking cool place to grow up, a pretty cool place to live. What is it about the South, Chris Hennessy, that exudes this much pride? Well, I, I think, and I've noticed this too, because I've been, I've played that song now in, you know, in Michigan and I've played it in, you know, well, we were just in Montana and Wyoming and South Dakota. And I'm looking out at the crowd, you know, and I'm thinking, well, I mean, this, this the same thing here. Just, you know, it just depends on what kind of people we're talking about, where they live, you know. Uh, but for me personally, the reason that it's so, uh, that I feel such a, an, an intense endearment to the Southeast is because that's where I'm from, you know, that it just goes back to childhood memories and things that, that are, I hold near and dear, which can happen anywhere. Like you said, where you're at, I mean, man, where your head is absolutely beautiful, that there's things that go on there and that you can see there. You can't even think about seeing here, but I grew up in East Tennessee, you know, so that's what I'm used to. That's what I'm accustomed to. Uh, but, but it is different. I will give you that. I think, uh, I think the people are different, you know, everybody's got their pluses and minuses, but I just personally love good old Southern folk. And like you said, maybe it's just dialect more than anything. I don't, I don't really know, but I know that it's dear to me just because it's, it's where I'm from. You know, I grew up in East Tennessee. And, and if you listen to that song, I'm telling you every little tidbit of that song, I have an image in my head from when I was growing up that that's, I see that thing in every second of that song that I'm singing and it talks about the where Tennessee turns into Alabama. That's right down where I grew up, you know, and the uh, Chickamauga Dam is just right below. I grew up on the Chickamauga Lake basically and Watts Bar Lake. So it's all very, you know, near and dear to me. So uh, 
So, and, and that time of day too. I mean, even today, I promise you, it'll be the sun will be setting and I'll be sitting outside and hearing the sounds and smelling the smells and being like, man, this is where it's at. You know, it's great. What are some of the detailed favorites or memories? What would you have to, what if I said, Chris, you have to choose one last Southern meal to eat, Ah, what would it be? Man, that's, that's a good question. Well, and I may be answering this the way I'm going to answer because it's the time of year that it is. But if I could be at my granny's house on Sunday afternoon and she would have a tomato out of the garden, she'd have fried okra, not deep fried, pan fried, you know, crispy okra, uh, a squash casserole, mashed potatoes, and make sure I leave. And she made rolls that were pretty intense, too. Uh, there you go. That's the answer. That would be it right there. I can taste it and smell it right now. So that's it. Now, if you ask me in the winter, it might be different. I don't know. But that's what it is right now. When you said the tomatoes, did you have anybody in your family? Um, I have a friend that's from Mississippi that now lives in Nashville. His name's Leith Lofton. He's been to a lot of your shows with me. You know, know he makes his mom makes they what they call and we don't have it out here. We have we have spaghetti sauce and we have we have um, ragu and stuff like this, but they make something in the South called tomato gravy that they put on biscuits. And does anybody in your family make what they call tomato gravy? Because when you said that, I thought you were going to say, "Oh, my, my grandma would make a tomato gravy with it." Leith Lofton's mom makes this tomato gra- gravy, Chris Tennessee, that literally blows my mind. And, and Leith I- Leith can do it, but he can't. And self admittedly, he can't quite get it like Mama can. Now Lee's from he's from Alabama, isn't that right? Uh, he's from Mississippi. Mississippi. Yeah, Drake Drake, White, Drake White's from Alabama. Yeah, I just talked to Drake earlier. He said to tell you hello, by the way. Uh, awesome. But, uh, no, to answer your question, and I think when you do get into the southeast like this, they'll do something a little different in Mississippi than they do in Tennessee than they do in Alabama. So we had what we call black eye gravy or, or red eye gravy, which is ham, you know, just ham gravy, but. I never did have any of that stuff. No. Do you like a good fish fry, Chris Hennessy? Who in the world does not like a good fish fry? I'm in. Okay, so okay. is is it is it crappie every time where you're from, or do you do the catfish oh, too? Yeah. I mean, I would say as I was growing up, if, if I had to say, it was probably more catfish than crappie, uh, just because, you know, you catch catfish all year. Well, you can catch crappie all year round too, but really get into a mess of crappie in the early spring you know but uh catfish fry was pretty pretty often happening around it still is so you're growing up in the south you're an athlete when does the influence of music take part is it i would guess if i had to guess and bet money would be i think a bear just crawled through um it it was a raccoon (laughs) what was it was it in church that got you into music? Because a lot of you hear that a lot in the South of of being in the church and doing and and being around the gospel songs. Like we started this conversation with, did that influence you, or was it the Leonard Skinners and the Almonds and and um, some of the music that was happening at that time? In this, you know, Elvis, who's considered the king of rock and roll, is from Mississippi as well, and and he grew. And then Graceland is in Memphis, correct? So there's a lot of influence in the in the part of the country that you're from. 
how does it happen to where you decide I'm going to start playing the guitar or the harmonica or the piano? Well, I'm sure that everybody has a, a different story on the influence, but it started in church for me. My granny, you know, I can still remember her like hitting me in the ribs and going, sing out. If you're going to sing, sing, you know, sing louder. Uh, but gospel music, you know, in the church was, is, was the first live music that I heard uh, and, and participated in. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, if you went into, you know, just random store, you know, to do shopping or whatever, there's going to be some country music playing in the background. You know, Johnny Paycheck, and back then it probably would have been like uh, Eddie Rabbit and Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton and that stuff all over the, the radio. Uh, so country music was just part of the fabric, you know, if you're sitting in a restaurant, you're hearing it, and you're in somebody's truck, you're hearing it. Uh, but I can honestly say, I won't say if I remember the first time that I heard Leonard Skinner or Sweet Home Alabama, but I can tell you the first time that I heard it and was like, okay, that's it. And I was probably 13 years old and we used to get, my dad had an old truck and we'd go down to Daytona every year and and uh, sometimes we'd go to the race and then stay at the beach, you know, for a while. And he put a camper top on the back of that truck. Me and my buddy would just ride in the back of the truck all the way down to the beach and back. And we had a little, jet, like, jam box. We'd put batteries in. We'd listen. But, man, it was driving down there, and, you know, you're all excited to go to the beach. And you got to go through the radio stations because they go in and out. And man, all of a sudden, Sweet Home Alabama started. And I think we might have, well, we know we're probably going through Georgia, but we were down in that neck of the woods. And man, I turned that thing up and it just spoke to me so hard in that moment. And I was just getting into guitar and stuff. And that's the first song. So when I got back home, I got my buddy that knew how to play to show me how to play a D chord and just do those first three notes. And that was, that was it. I was hooked at that point and got into Southern rock really heavy. So I think through high school, that was, between them and Hank Jr. and, and uh, oh, man, Kentucky Headhunters, I just love, and I still do. God, I love those guys. But uh, but that's where it really, once that guitar started, that's when it really kicked in and got, you know, I got really invested and interested in it. But, uh, but yeah, it all rooted back to the gospel stuff. So. I, th we're, I think we're kind of close to the same age. I don't know. Jamie and I are about the same exact age. I know it was just his birthday. I, I don't. Are you younger than Jamie? I'm 24. How old You're, are you? I just turned 24, 23, somewhere right in there. <laughs> well, we're. I got you by a couple of years. I think I got you by a couple of years. Um, did you transition at all into the hair bands and the eighties rock and the quiet riots and the Judas priest and the, the Rodney James Dio? Because like when I was talking to Charlie star one time, I was talking about my fascination with, uh, it was D Snyder and twisted sister and that whole band. It was Rodney yeah. James Dio. And then in like 86, 87, I became fascinated and I still am today with guns and roses. And I think Axel is an insane, insane front man and slap. But anyway, did it, did you have that love of that type of music too? Like I, I did back then yeah i don't there was no way to avoid it i mean when, when we were that age like that was pop music that was the biggest music that was out there so you know and it was made for us i mean we were teenagers so you're going to dig it you know so absolutely i remember definitely the first time i heard like welcome to the jungle and i was like okay this is different you know? and i mean it really it hit me pretty well 
all of our our age folks it hit pretty hard but uh, there was also some stuff that i was interested in back then that i i don't even i'm not sure i would admit to right now but depeche, yeah, mode. Was, depeche mode tears for fears well, I mean, a little bit well you know <laughs> I'm not. We'll talk about it later. Yeah, we'll right. about it. Hey, I listened to George Michael. You got to have faith. I listened to Men at Work. I listened to all this stuff. That was great stuff, man. How could you not listen? Oh, to I love George Michael, man. God, was he good? Okay, I got a question for you. Your most guilty pleasure band? Come on. I mean, of all time. Yeah. I I would probably. I don't, man. It's it's crazy to think this because I'm a huge lover of what I call there's a it's called boat music or yacht music I guess they call it on Pandora but I love how deep is your love by the Bee Gees when I hear like that kind of song like you would look at me and what I do for a living and you probably would be like no man you're not listening to how deep is your love but when it comes on at the late Chris Hennessy my guilty pleasure is these two songs Bee Gees how deep is your love and 1979 Billboard number one hit, Flash in the Pants, one hit wonder, Rupert Holmes. If you like Pina Colada, when I hear that, sh- huh? Mm-hmm. That's my okay. guilty pleasure. Okay, you got now. This is not my number one. I'd have to think about it for a little while. But you, you remember uh, reminiscing it was Little River Band? Oh, I love oh. Little River Band. And the dog and reminiscing. Oh, that one, that one gets me every time. I listened to Little River Band last night on a deck at this lake in the mountains of California, and uh, my buddy Jason Carrier was singing every word to. I'm like, I'm getting a bunch of their stuff, but man, great band. America came on. I went through the desert on a horse with no. I mean, there was some good stuff playing last night. Oh man, that is some good stuff. Yeah. When earlier in the conversation, Chris Hennessy, you said that maybe we are going to gravitate towards you guys sound because we're not necessarily happy with what's being played on quote unquote country music. I've been accused yeah. on this podcast, Chris, about saying that I don't think that there's a lot of real country music on the radio. Now everybody deserves to make a living. And what Brent Cobb, which I consider one of the best songwriters of today, in my opinion, do you agree? I, if he's not in the top two or three, then I'm missing something. He's wow. Amazing. God, you're unreal for saying that. He's amazing to me. And he educated me on this podcast one time, Chris, and said, Chad, country music is going to do what country music's going to do, and you're just going to have to deal with it. So he's pretty much telling me that, hey, if I never make it on the radio, because my whole deal is that we deserve to hear Shine On Rainy Day, okay? The, the world deserves to hear Twilight in the South. But when you turn on country music, you're not going to hear that being spun right now. Now, you can go find it with streaming. I'm not saying you can't. But what I am talking about is what is country music. And there was a time in, like, I would say around 86, 87, 88, 89, when George Strait was on it. And then here comes Travis Tritt, another fellow, you know, from the South and Southeast. He just did this podcast. Huge town. Then you had Mark Chestnut. And you had Tracy Lawrence. And you had this music there that kind of formed in. And then Garth kind of came out of that age. Country music was pretty freaking rad. Okay. Yeah. I'm not asking you, Chris Hennessy, to tell me, are you dissatisfied with what is out there today? But do you have any that you do enjoy? Now, 
Chris Stapleton cannot be mentioned in this conversation because Chris is badass and we know this, okay? He was steel drivers. He's been in Nashville a long time. Comes out with what what are you listening to? Doesn't quite make it. Then the traveler hits. Then he's on stage with Justin Timberlake. And then all of a sudden everybody's like, who in the heck is this guy? I love him. But he's not normal for today's music. Do you like anybody else that's out there? Um, yeah, I do. Uh, and actually, I the re and I promise this is not because you know him and we all know him. But I think one of the best country songs that's been out in the last ten years is uh, is Tyler Farr. You know, guy walks into bar. I think that was. I, I was hopeful when that song came out that man, there's a trend right there. This is going to really you know, change things. That's a great song, but you know, I love Drake, man. I think Drake does great work and, and I really enjoy his music. I'm a jinx guy, you know, uh, Cody cut one of my songs on his last record and, uh, and I was a fan way before that, but you know, that I really appreciate that. I thought that was really cool. Uh, but as far as what's on country radio, um, do you like Morgan Wallen at all? I have to ask because I find myself hearing a couple of his tunes now to where I'm like, that's got some country. And the first one he ever put out that he did not write that I thought he did was the way I talk. And he talked and then he's got a song about where you're from about, you know, do you ever think about the boy from East Tennessee? And I can't remember the yeah. name of the song, but do you like some of his stuff? He, and he, Cause he's got some popularity right now. Yeah. He's, he's from Knoxville. Right. So, uh, and I've never met him, but, uh, uh, I can, once I started working with Jamie, I, I sort of gravitated off the row a little bit and things changed a lot. And I'll be honest with you, uh, the last thing I'm going to do is to come on and, and hate on other people's art. I don't like that to begin with because, you know, what you do with your art is your own business. But they do mix art and business sometimes a little too much and that can kind of, you know, change things. But um, when I was writing on Music Row a lot, we were writing country songs and we would kind of dabble in other things here and there, but it seemed like a lot of my writes started to focus more and more on, uh, like drum loops and trying to come up with, with feels. And I feel like that a lot of times the lyric ended up, uh, suffering because of that. And then it, you know, uh, hip hop got involved a little bit, in it and that and I'm not knocking it. That's fine if you like that stuff. It just wasn't what I was, you know, accustomed to or used to. And I didn't really know how to write that stuff. So to circle back around to Morgan Wallen, the times that I've heard his songs, I, I know what I've heard on the radio. And man, you cannot debate that that's not some hooky stuff, man. I mean, that stuff gets stuck in your head, and then you got an argument there that that's not what music's about in the first place. Is you know having having good music and getting it hooked and stuck in your head. So my very limited knowledge of Morgan Wallen is that he's, he's talented, man. He knows how to write a, a melody and he knows how to write a groove and a hook. So I give him that, but that's about as far as my knowledge of, of his music goes. What if you start adding the female into the equation, Chris Hennessy, you've been on stage with some of the greatest, one of them being Alison Krauss, who could sing a phone book and like, just make you be like, Oh my gosh. And then not to mention when you meet her, she's just so awesome as a person. Who do you, who do you like to listen to in the female? Now we all say Dolly is 
Dolly. Dolly's the the best, in my opinion. I mean, we're all trying we're all trying to find the next Dolly per se, maybe. But I don't know if there'll ever be another one. The way she built her career, the way she wrote songs, she's an amazing talent. But who do you, who do you think in the female uh, genre stands the test of time? Well, man, it kind of all starts and stops with Allison. <laughs> really, I mean. Once you're on stage with her and you hear her sing, it's like, man, I don't know how to, to add anybody else into the equation. But, um, you know, we did uh, we did some shows in the last couple of years with a gal named Natalie Stoball, and she ended up being in a band uh, with another good friend of mine, uh, Jennifer Wayne, called Runaway June. And I think they're good, man. I enjoy their music. Uh, and, uh, man, Miranda's good. You know, she does some stuff a lot of times that – that I'm really impressed with. And, and the guy that produced her records, uh, Frank Liddell, I've been friends with him for a long time and he's, he does great records, man. I think there's a, there's, they've got a really good combo going there. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'd have to think, I'd have to think a little more about the, the female part of it, but, uh, yeah, there's a few that Allison, mm. oh, you man. know, she's, we've talked about this, but she's played and sung on my last record. Yes. And, uh, Man, what a thrill and a joy that was. It was just unbelievable. She's amazing. Um, you can't argue. Like you can't you can't get better. I would I would put money on that. But you mentioned Frank. You say he makes great records. I gotta ask you about this Kentucky artist that he did a record for in nineteen ninety seven. And I'm not trying oh, yeah. to put you on the spot, but Chris Knight, I feel, is like in those top two or three that you mentioned Brent Cobb in when it comes to putting a song yeah. on paper. Are you yeah. a Chris Knight fan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I haven't kept up with him, but but back in the day, you know, uh, oh man, that one record that he did that had uh, "It Ain't Easy Being Me" and "Framed" and "How to Be a Hound Around Here" names for how I feel. That's good stuff right there. Man. Oh, that's a good song. <laughs> Frank too, and he was working on that stuff, and it was like, yeah, they've got a pretty good thing going there. But yeah, I haven't kept up with him through the years though. All right, my man, I want to talk about this to kind of take us to the end of the line with, and I truly appreciate you coming on. I, I love what you do. How how much does work ethic come into what you have achieved and what you achieved today with Jamie? I was on stage one time, and I, w- I had the honor of watching you guys rehearse Misery and Gin. And I don't, I, if y'all did it, one, you, you had to have done it 30 times that day and it just you get a quarter of the way done and jamie would stop and he would talk to the background singers and he would do this and i was just like man this is work this is professionalism this is perfection this is dedication to the art okay how much does that play in what you do and jamie because it's not just talent right i know you guys have ungodly talent but is it non-stop work to get to this point of getting that stage show down the way it is and getting these songs perfected the way that you want them or do you guys just go up and wing most of them <laughs> well that day in particular we were not winging it i know what you're talking about that was in reno right yeah okay yeah, we weren't winging that one. And I think it's because we had, first of all, Misery and Jen's not easy song to play. I mean, that was one of the, you know, we do, you know, uh, White Lightning or something. We don't rehearse that. We just take off and play it because we played it, you know. Uh, I, I've, I've often said that I've spent the last 20 years rehearsing, you know, on stage in front of people. But uh, but that day in particular, Misery and Jen's one that if you're not careful with, you can you can get 
off in La La Land pretty quick on that one. But if you to answer your question, ninety percent of the time we just go out there and hit it. You know, like we just go out there and like it's kind of like you're you know you're a baseball guy. Uh, so when you're in high school, you get coached heavily. Do this, do this, do this. Don't do this, don't do this. You get in college and you get moderately coached. You should know this. You should know this. You get in the big leagues, and if you don't know it, you ain't there in the first place. So those guys go out and they play ball. They don't, you know, they'll take some warm-up swings, and they might get a little pointer from some, from the hitting coach or the pitching coach. But for most, for the most part, they go out and just react because they know how to do it. And it's the same thing with this, man. We've played so many times. You know, there's a few times that we might drop the ball we're going to pick it up real fast and throw the guy out in second. You know what I mean? Oh, I like that analogy. Do you, Yeah. do you well, have, I'll, I'll always use all as an analogy because it's, it, it translates to life so well. I mean, as you well know, you hit, you know, you, you, you fail 70% of the time you're in Cooperstown, right? So there's a lot to be said for, uh, for baseball and how you can translate that into life. So. Yeah, and I'm pretty opinionated on on you know like when I said that you guys are, I you know the best the the lone, the lonesome song and your guys' stage shows like, but I also say that baseball players are the best athletes in the world and people look at me like are you nuts they don't they can't run like a soccer player and they can't swim like Phelps and they can't dunk and I'm like dude if you take the top athletes on every all 30 major league baseball teams and you put them in this olympic style deal where they got to play ping pong and bowling and swim catch a football dribble a basketball and shoot it the baseball players are going to come out at because you can't hitting a baseball and fielding a ground ball is some of the hardest things to do in athletics i'm not saying that i could go into the pool and beat michael phelps by no means would i ever say that but i could go in there and swim back and forth in a freestyle stroke and 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 do it and i don't think michael phelps can get in the cage and hit a baseball three out of ten times not to say that he's not a great athlete it's just a different animal yeah I agree, and hey, I want to I want to say this too. Speaking of, uh, you said Olympics. I want to do a, I want to do a little plug here. Yes, I've sir. got and that I went to college with, and he has uh, four kids, and one of his kids uh, got into gymnastics early. Uh, he's a young man named Brody Malone, and uh, Brody got into gymnastics, got better, excelled, ended up at Stanford. He's won the last two. NCAA national championships, and he is going to be representing the good old US of A in Tokyo here next week. And so, you guys look out, go on, watch Brody Malone every chance you get. Brody's a great kid. He's from Georgia. He's a cowboy. He grew up roping. And when they interview him, you know, he's like, "Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am." He's he's a great kid. He's a great story. So go check it out. And he's a great hunter too, man. This kid can call a turkey in from two miles away with a stick. Oh, so. I love Well, good luck, Brody, and bring home the gold, brother. Yeah, man. We need to take him on a duck hunt when he gets back, Tennessee, and have that little gold I would, medal. I promise you, he would be he'd get there as fast as he could because he, he loves it, man. He loves it. But, yeah, y'all check him out. And uh, Hey, man, I want to tell you, too, Thank you so much for having me on, taking the time to talk to guys like me and, you know, help them to talk about the stuff that we're working on. And thanks for being a fan of what we do, because we're definitely a fan of what you guys do. 
Well, yeah. And it, you know, humility is a big thing in, in, in my life now. And I just, you guys have always exuded that to me of the way that you have treated us, the way that Wally has treated us. Um, I just, there's just never judgment and to have the chance to have you on and to have a chance to watch you guys play. I just think that the, the, we take so much for granted, Chris Hennessy, and I don't want to take stuff for granted anymore. I've seen you guys live over 20 times. Um, but I also saw Montgomery Gentry live probably 10 times and I don't ever get to do that again. So I think in life, whether you're close with somebody or whether you're a distant friend or just an acquaintance, or you stood in a meet and greet line and got to meet somebody once, or you have respect for the local janitor at the high school, we take things for granted to where, Life is precious. And when you, when you have the chance to learn somebody's story and know what they're about, that means everything to me. You know, and I, I, I don't care how much money we make. I don't care how big a houses we live in or how many boats we own. There's, I've learned that that's not the important stuff. And I know that that's cliche and I don't want to be cliche, but man, just having, you know, a friendship with you to be able to text you and go, Hey man, this song is killer. I wanted to tell you how much gospel songs hit me and I'm not from the South or Southeast. I'm not Baptist. I'm a, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm baptized Catholic. I I grew up in the church. I, I believe in God. I have a great personal relationship with God. My dad is upstairs with him right now. I talk to those two every single day of my life. But when I heard that song standing on the deck, cooking wild duck this past, weekend i was like damn it man life is important and to be able to have friendships and to have conversations i truly feel where and where i'm going to end this chris hennessy this 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 comment i'm making we just don't do it enough anymore we text we instant message we get self-gratification out of the weirdest things now we want to like on a picture we want to like on a video we care how many views we get i want to start not caring about that stuff anymore kind of like what jamie did and said i'm just going to do my thing and i i i want to release i want to just kind of release and let social media just do its thing and let it go and i want to get back to talking and i want to get back yeah. to to what they say in the south of visiting i want i haven't I, I, I haven't seen you in a minute chris that's what they say in the south yeah. i haven't seen you in a minute and i, I want to get back to seeing folks and talking and conversing you know what i mean you're, yeah i do and you're doing that uh, for one with this but you know and i guess to naturally come back around to something that we both enjoy and talk about and do a lot Man, how great is hunting for that? I don't care if you're duck hunting or deer hunting or, you know, whatever it is that you're hunting. I mean, how many times do you get out in the woods or get to the, you know, to the, the hunting lodge and they're like, oh, we don't have Wi-Fi, we don't have cell service, and it's like, perfect. That's the whole point in this. Yeah. And uh got kids. I got two boys now, and we hunt all the time, and that's exactly the perfect time to live out what we're saying right there is to get out in the woods and to – eliminate all of those distractions and things like that and, and i'll also say this too you know you were talking about faith and talking about gospel songs i wrote that song four years ago i guess three or four years ago and it makes more sense now today than it did then uh you know the message in it and basically the message in it is exactly what it is we just we need more gospel songs we need you know miss we need more love and there's no question about that. But I think misguided love can be a little tricky, too. So there's four books that I would recommend if you really want to learn a lot of, or everything you need to know about love. And it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the four books that I recommend reading if you want to understand love. And that's what it's about, you know. So I appreciate you saying that about that song. I'm glad that, that, uh, that it hit you. 
when do you think you will uh, start playing it with Jamie? That's got to be one that would uh, be one of those last two or three songs in a set that would make the crowd be like, now I'm going, now I'm going out of here. You know, I know Jamie's got spirit. I know Jamie feels it. Like, I hope y'all start playing that one. Yeah, he did. Uh, you know, actually, when I made that record, there was a couple of nights during his set that he said, hey, I, you know, I forgot about this earlier when you asked about it, but he said, hey, there's a song I want Chris to play. So, we, you know, I played it during his set. Uh, we haven't done that in a long time, but uh, but yeah, you're right, because he does the gospel medley at the end, you know, it would fit in there pretty good. But I'll let Wally work on that. I'll let him work on that. I love Wally. I love Wally. Wally, if you're listening, I love you, brother. I miss you. I had some good times with him. I can't wait to see you. I'm going to be at a show in December. I really wanted to get out to one of those Whiskey Meyer shows. Good night. The crowds were amazing, weren't they? And man, I'm such a huge fan. I, I got to tell you, those guys were great. They're good dudes. We had such a great time, man. And, and Cody Cannon that we talked about earlier, he's a big hunter. And uh, he was just telling me he's going on an elk hunt. I guess, I don't remember when he said, but it's coming up pretty soon. He's excited about that. But they're great guys. Yeah, everybody check them out. Yeah, um, one of my friends that builds, I don't know if you've seen the guns he built for Jamie, but I had some shotguns done for Jamie with his logo on them. I've shot a pheasant with them, with those guns that Jamie had. Yeah, absolutely. I need to get you one. I'll I'll, I'll talk with you about that in a little bit, but... um, Rob Roberts owns that company in Arkansas and he builds those and he built one. He just built one for Cody and Rob was in little rock and he watched your guys' show. He came backstage and I don't know if you got to meet him. He was with Jamie and he got to say hi to Cody and the band, but that was, he, he, Rob Roberts came to the little rock show to say hello to y'all. Those are great guns. We go to, you know, as you probably know, we go to South Dakota every year and hunt pheasant within Jamie and it goes up there and he takes an arsenal of shotguns up there. So I got to use a couple of those, the 20 and a 12 and they were great. I, I love them. Man. Yeah. They're smoke shows. I love them too. Well, man, I appreciate you. I love your music. I love what you're doing. I can't wait to see y'all live again and just keep doing it, man. The world needs it. I, I don't know how many times, I listen to the songs that you're a part of, but I love them and they, they mean the world to me. And they, uh, the, every time I, I hear them, I, I, I find myself wanting to better myself. And I think that that's what music is supposed to do. It's supposed to inspire us and get us to a place when we, where we need to be. And I appreciate you doing what you do, brother. And back at you. I appreciate you talking with me and, uh, and let's do it again soon, man. Let's go hunting. Well, trust me, we are. I've been talking to Wally about that Reno show in December, and y'all might stay a day or two after, and I'm going to line it up. So I'll get the details, and hopefully we can make it happen. All right, man, that sounds good. I really appreciate you. It's Chris Hennessy. When does the official album release? I know we can get two songs right now. Is there an official release date? Okay, so I'm still trying to figure out all of these, you know, digital releases and that kind of thing, because as we talked about before, as we grew up, you know, you made a record, you put it out and people hopefully bought it. But we're going to do an EP in the next couple of weeks with five songs. And then through the summer, we're going to release it digitally uh, throughout the summer. Um, but if you go on to com, I have the actual if, if you have a CD player, you know, I've got CDs, I can send the whole album out, you know, and, immediately so that's the best way to do it if you want to hear the whole thing but by the end of august we should have both eps out and all the music out there so will what's that sorry that cut off on that one twilight in the south is the name of the full album also yeah and it's going to be awesome um two questions 
will you have vinyl? <laughs> yes, because you ask, I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure, I'm going to make it happen. Has anybody else asked? Because I would love a vinyl signed by Chris Anderson. You were the you were the strong. I've had enough people that ask that I'm like, okay, I'll look into it. But now, now that you mention it, I'm going to look into it and, and going to make it happen. Okay, and Weatherman, like this is a strong song. This is written by Bo Cephas. It's one of those songs that you just are like, oh, good night. And he sings it unbelievably. Why Weatherman, Chris Hennessy, and where do you get the confidence or the nerve, some people would say, to come with Weatherman? Because you got to bring it to sing Weatherman. Have you have you always loved this song, and are people going to be wowed by it when you deliver it? I have, and I, the answer to that is every record that I do, I don't really have much of a formula, but I, know, I always want to do a gospel song of some sort on my record, and I always want to do a cover of somebody that I've loved. And if I go back through the years, you know, I've done Charlie Daniels and I've done Leonard Skinner covers, and I, and I always try to do like sort of deep cuts. I don't want to just do, you know, hits or whatever, but uh, I even did a Foo Fighters song on the last record. But uh, this one, I've got one one cover on it, and it's Weatherman. And the reason that I wanted to do it is because last year, uh, you know, in 2020, you're sitting around, you don't know what's going on, and, you know, you can get a little blue and try to figure out. And so I was like, man, I heard that song, and I was like, that's how I feel right now. You know, uh, just we could use a little good news. We need a good weather report, you know, because it's been raining a lot. So that's the reason I ended up with that one. Did you ever get a chance to tell Hank you were doing it or ask Hank? I know you've been around both Stevens, but do you go through him and get his blessing to do this, or do you just go for it? Ah, you just cut it. I mean, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. If you're going to grow up being a Hank Jr. fan and you then you get into music and you're a Bo Cephas guy, you think, well, what would Bo Cephas do? Well, what would he do? <laughs> just cut it. <laughs> just cut it. And I've gotten to know Sam, his son, a little bit, and I – I did it after, but I wrote one of a, a song that's on Sam's new record too. You got to check it out. Sam Williams, uh, he's got a record coming out in the next couple of months too. So, but uh, but yeah, I just cut it. I figured surely, you know, surely he would appreciate somebody cutting his songs, and uh, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Well, I have a request for your next cover for your next album. I would like to hear you uh, do the Gibb Brothers. How deep is your love from the Bee Gees? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that's a challenge. That is a that's a good challenge. I, I, I accept. I accept the challenge. I'd like to hear you do it live one night around hunting camp campfire and just hear. Oh, hear you, I wanna, I, yeah, I'm gonna listen to it and see if there's some way you want to make it your own. Oh you yeah, know? like Weatherman doesn't sound like the the Hank version, uh, but you know how deep is your love? That, that's a pretty good challenge. <laughs> That's a very big challenge. I don't know if you could get that high, that that voice we that they get on the guitar on it, and we'd really make a make a good thing out of that. All right, I'll be expecting it. I can't wait. Okay, I may have got myself into something I can't get out. Yep. I don't know. How deep is your love and some vinyls? Yeah. All right. We heard it here. That's been an unbelievable episode. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chris Hennessy. You guys check him out online at Chris Hennessy, or is there music on there? Where is it at? Uh, ChrisHennessy.com? Yeah, ChrisHennessy.com will take you everywhere you need to go. Get his new album, Twilight in the South. I like the Blacktop song, too. That's my kind of song because I'm on the road a bunch. I yeah. like it. 
Congrats, my brother. I appreciate you. Yeah, thanks, brother. I appreciate it, man. We'll see you soon. Y'all check out Chris Annecy. Look for Jamie Johnson on the road right now. He'll be back on tour. I know he's touring pretty much the rest of the year, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're. I mean, heck, we'll, you're at the end of the year, right? We'll see you in December. So I'm yeah. hoping to get to another show before then. I usually go out with a song on this podcast, Chris. I don't know if you've heard an ending, but we usually go out with one written by Leith Lofton and Drake White, and they've both performed it, but we use Leith's version of What You Gonna Do When The Money's All Gone. It's a great song. Um can we go out with Twilight in the South to end our conversation? Do it. I love it. Absolutely. Tom, Jake, hit that button. This is Twilight in the South by the one and only Chris Hennessy. Thank you all listening to another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody, brought to you again by Jack Daniels, Tennessee Sour Match Whiskey. Enjoy it responsibly. Never, ever allow underage drink. And thank you all so much. Peace. Twilight in the South. Tennessee turns into Alabama When summer days turn into summer nights There's a honey hole a mile below